Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Geek Pigs. I'm Ivo Graham. And I am Alex Keeley. It is episode 8. I'm almost certain of it. We had a little pickle. The sun is less sure now. The sun is wobbling. Well, we had this thing, like this very amusing thing, where I wrote the blurb for last week's episode, episode 7, where we talked about a fantastic trip to watch Caroline Polachek with our friends Rhiannon and Izzy. Highly recommended. And in the blurb, I adapted amusingly a Caroline Polachek lyric, as has become my blurbing style. I said, (laughs) I'm not counting the episodes, but it's been seven if you include the Lou Sanders episode as double. And then you replied being like, hasn't it been eight? Thinking, are we including the Rhiannon and, and Izzy one? And I was like, no, we're not. And then I sent you an amusing video of them <laughs> arguing in the thick of it about whether the phrase up till this financial quarter or whatever it is involves this financial quarter. Yes. Or if you prefer your references, football rather than political, it's the he's 28 until he's 29 for the Arsenal player. For which Arsenal player? There was a whole thing about... I don't know, a few years ago, maybe under Emery, when they were buying a player and it, they were worried that Arsenal were spending a lot of money on someone who was old. And they were saying they're paying this for a 29-year-old and it was someone who was 28 years and three months. And there was an, a massive argument on, I believe, a subreddit. And they included phrases like, he's 28 until he's 29. So the idea of like people going hard for 28 years and 364 days is still 28. And others were saying, the moment you cross over 28 years yeah one day I've, you are like on the way to 29 i've heard this expression he's x until he's x but i, I think I that's did, where i didn't from. know it was with specific reference to a subreddit thread about an unai emery arsenal transfer it, from about three years ago there's, uh, there's can't bits, wait to google it as soon as we stop yeah. doing this <laughs> there's bits of it that i grow less confident the more that you throw back what i've said to me in, in that sentence. Is this, and I take a very high percentage of the this, sort of the most willfully obtuse introduction to a podcast. you got to hope the audience likes our chemistry. Like, I went in, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, listen, as I say, my fault for going straight in on like, here's a random reference to last week's syntactic argument about numbers. Any Black Midi fans who've come for this one episode have already switched off. I don't know. Is this not exactly the sort of anarchic behaviour that they enjoy in their heroes? A little theatre uh, for you. A little theatre for you. That'll make sense. It must have make sense in about 45 minutes. That'll, yeah, make yeah. That'll make sense later. We record things non-chronologically so that we can look forward to our own references, as it were. <laughs> so we are enjoying this freak energy 20 minutes before stage time at the Tobacco Factory Theatre in Bristol. A little tobacco factory theatre for you. A little tobacco factory theatre for you. Yeah, that reference will make sense in 45 minutes. Um, I'll be honest, Alex, there's a little bit of not fit for purpose <laughs> already from me, which, which again, imagine that if you may, listener, invest in the jeopardy of saying that not just about a podcast intro that we'd love to get recorded now, but also the show I've got to perform uh, quite imminently. I was performing a show in 19 minutes and he, You're part uh, of the show I'm, as well. I'm part of the show. I'm supporting him tonight as I have the last two nights in Reading. And Ivo's arrival time last night was 7.58 at the venue. And and Ivo's Ivo's arrival time here this evening was 5.15 in what he described as the earliest I've ever got to a show. Which you shouldn't get that. That that is too early. The theatre was not open. The theatre was not open. I wouldn't. We had a a lovely coffee and a sticky top of pudding next door. But I'm afraid, (laughs) I'm not saying this justifies lateness and certainly not last night's appalling conduct in Reading. But... (laughs) 
last night I arrived with a real spring in my step of like well, yeah. 758 but it's not 805 I went straight on and another show I've lost my yeah. mind in Bristol well, this was the juxtaposition I was going for I mean yeah. I mean I've arrived 90 seconds before he was due to walk on stage walked on stage probably only about four minutes after start time which I think is very much within the margin of error it's within the margin it's of within error it's within the margin and, of error you know, and all went well whereas, the fact that I spent the first 15 minutes of the gig picking a very specific fight with quite an obstinate <laughs> man called Pete on the front row it was great yes I believe whose partner has threatened to bring him to my show as well <laughs> Take a week after. The ripple effects of this <laughs> reading tension will be felt all the way to next weekend. Speaking of which, Alex Keeley is on tour. I am and on he's tour. At the South Street Art Centre in Reading on Sunday. Sunday, the 23rd of April. I think that's the day. Anyway, I've got Northern Arts on the Friday, Reading on the Sunday, and then Bristol itself, which is where we are now, the Thursday afterwards. So, what you're really doing is you're sampling the M4 corridor with me this week. Yes, exactly. Before, before coming to plant your own flag later in the month. And best of luck to you. And I hope you don't go quite as mad in your dressing room as I've got in mine tonight. <laughs> so sorry about this start of the podcast so far. We have had a bit of fun on stage doing a little quiz, which we're almost certainly going to put on social media about Bristol music. The low point for me was mispronouncing an act's name quite badly. Uh, the <laughs> high point was me throwing in a question about skins, to which you so overperformed in terms of knowledge and enthusiasm. You were not able just to locate MGMT's Time to Pretend as the closing song of Series 2 or Generation 1, Series 2, mm. of Skins. But you were also able to describe exactly what was happening at the end of that. Yeah, it's an absolutely cathartic moment where I think the camera is almost spinning around in sort of Times Square, blinding New York lights, and then it's MGMT's time to pretend, and it's like, it's the end of Skins and the beginning of MGMT in my life. <laughs> never again have I watched Skins after that moment, and never again have I not been listening to MGMT after that moment. <laughs> Whereas I invested in the next two generations and, you know... And often listen to bands who are MGMT. I've continued to spread myself around and I've enjoyed some of the less commercial later MGMT work, but I think they sort of peaked immediately with that simply colossal time to pretend. Would you like to our audience, I dare say, which contains a few skins sort of era music nostalgics, to name any other very strong musical associations with skin scenes? Claxons, surely... Surely it's like in the new rave generation, you're getting some klaxons in. I'm talking about a specific... Uh, specific scene. Well, yeah, what do you think? Oh, I was saying, do you, do you oh, want yes, to reminisce about do. any music? So, and you were like, oh. yeah, klaxons. Oh, I'm... <laughs> no. what? Excuse me, excuse me. I'm Got sorry. any memories, Alex? I'm sorry. Are you saying that the podcast we do, that a prompt of got any memories about music is like... Not an acceptable no, prompt. I mean, that's the fucking premise it, of it. It, it, it is acceptable, but I think we can shoot higher. And I was shooting higher there. I've got an answer. I've got an answer. Let Thank me. <laughs> Let me. I think I'm getting a bit of I'm not fit for purpose. The contagious unfitness for I purpose. I felt so fit for purpose before I press record. So there's a really good scene, I believe, when the Nicholas Holt character has had a hard interview at Bristol. And then he sort of comes back and aces his second interview and then it's all to the good the bad and the queen by the good the bad and the queen from the album the good the bad and the queen is that not right yes a great quiz question for same song title band title and album title and please i can't stress enough if you have any other examples that you can email of song title artist title album title are all the same please email immediately pull over in the car yes 
pull the emergency cord on the train, even though you could probably still just compose the email without doing that. <laughs> but do but pull just, the emergency cord. Gigpigspodcast at gmail.com with the triple threat title. Yes. Although in the case of this triple threat, I know it as a triple threat. I couldn't recognize that song, I don't think. But also it's actually, oh, it's technically not a triple threat because apparently the band is not called The Good, The Bad and The Queen. Or did they only confirm later at the time it was merely the song was called The Good, Bad and The Queen. The album was called The Good, The Bad and The Queen and it was unnamed musical project involving Damon Auburn. The Big Ben of music. The Big, the big Ben. <laughs> exactly. I think, I wonder if it's the same episode. I think Nicholas Holt is going to an interview at some college and he's looking out of a train window and the song Walcott by Vampire Weekend is playing. Ooh. That's very vivid in my mind. Those rippling, shimmering pianos. Great show, great city. And, you know, possibly great tour show for me and you in 12 minutes, <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't describe myself as brimming with confidence. <laughs> well, we won't dox which night of your two nights at the tobacco factory it is, so the audience won't necessarily know. Although they can sort of work out from the time that you need to lace together these things. Yes, about whether exactly. You, you and got... also you're not supporting me here on Tuesday. Whereas you are supporting me here today, Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Two-page Agatha Christie book. <laughs> He's Mur- dead. The butler did it. <laughs> Murder on New Orange Express by everyone. Uh, <laughs> by everyone. By Agatha Christie. <laughs> So let's quickly talk about who's on this podcast, <laughs> and then I dare say I might want to get in the zone and iron a shirt. But before Ivo takes the stage, I mean, he's got to yeah, iron that shirt. I will iron my shirt. <laughs> It'll be the one calming piece of this whole regime. We must introduce our guest. It's a fantastic Rajiv Karia. He is a fantastic comedian and comedy producer, A not even a jack of any trade, a master of two plus he's trades. A poacher and gamekeeper. Poacher and gamekeeper. And that poacher will be poaching at the Soho Theatre on the first week of June, I believe. Do we have the exact date? I think it's, it's June the 1st or 3rd, which I've observed, and I'm embarrassed to say I was able to say with certainty from my own doomed summer fantasies, is the same weekend as Primavera Sound. So that you will understand the level of music fandom he represents and how much he loves Primavera to know that if he is putting on a show at that time, you know it's going to be a good show. I will be going to one of those nights that show. So do go and Ooh, watch, little watch Easter egg show. of a mystery kill. <laughs> You'll spot my hyena-like laugh if you're in. It's a great laugh to have, but sometimes it can prove more distracting than supportive. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Good to do one just there, actually, arguably. He's a fantastic consumer of music. He talks about last year's Primavera, so in a way, good for him to have a, a year off. The Barcelona Heat. We covered all sorts of musical ground in this episode, but the main ground we focused on was a shared trip to watch the band Black Midi. Now, we struggle in the course of the episode to define Black Midi because they're pretty undefinable. It's a sort of prog, jazz, rock fusion. It's very anarchic, and their live shows take all sorts of left turns, which, again, there were loads of when we went to see them. Too headbangy for jazz too good at music for punk. That's, I think that's, that's fantastic, Alex. Can I let the listener on a secret that you said you should introduce Black Midi and you did that knowing that you had that in the back pocket because <laughs> you thought it would look more impressive if you just chipped in with that looking unrehearsed. No, no, it was a lucky glance off my shin into the goal. Yeah, well, a few more of those lucky glances and we're going all the way to the Sony's. <laughs> I, um, I, 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 I believe that's a podcast award. <laughs> sure, sure. At least we're getting to the playoffs for the Sony's, you've got to think. We had such a fun time at Black Midi. Truthfully, I didn't really know what I was 
and this is a very bad verb, but letting myself in for. I saw it as a very crazy Sunday night where we also attempted very ambitiously to play a board game in a pub. And if you think, well, I'd like to hear about that bit of the evening, you will in quite granular detail. And some of you might end up thinking, I'd have loved to have heard slightly less about that part of the evening. We will uh, see. That's what the skip slash 1.5 button's for. I wouldn't shouldn't just yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. recommend. Don't flag the possibility. Also, we have made a sort of joint resolution to try, I don't know if that's been met in this podcast intro, <laughs> but to speak a little bit more calmly and slowly. Sure. I don't think you want to be 1.5-ing us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 0.75, yes please. But on a serious note, we will try to be less audibly agitated in our podcast. <laughs> I don't promise that. I promise fealty to pronunciation and possibly slower, but agitation is much an emotional thing as a and I don't promise to not get agitated and with that in mind I'm on stage in six minutes <laughs> we do hope you enjoy this uh, podcast <laughs> <laughs> so please enjoy Rajiv Karia enjoying Black Midi here we are introducing Rajiv Rajiv thank you very much for coming into the podcast hello it's a pleasure pleasure to be here I'd say oh this is huge and I don't know where I've pulled this compliment from but I think you might be the biggest music fan we've had on the podcast. <laughs> yes! Come on! I might not be as famous as the others. Yeah, sure. My comedy career is fledging. It's fledging? Fledgling. I think it's fledgling. It's fledgling. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce the word fledgling. What? Yeah, I don't have a successful podcast about food, okay? Listen. But I'm the biggest music fan. Rajiv, we must be burdened by the fact that we're recording this at the off-menu recording studio. Acaster's in the corner, he just keeps looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, he's, he's livid about the music fan thing. <laughs> yeah, he's livid. Ed Gamble would have a reason to be livid. Yeah. He's so committed. <laughs> to be honest, he doesn't get the rep, but Nish is also like, he's a big music head, isn't he? Yes, we haven't had Nish on the podcast. All three, all three of them are big music guys. Yeah. Cursed to have to do comedy. Yeah. <laughs> the band never took off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right, actually, Rajiv, you don't have really the musical credentials either. <laughs> 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 just just one of many comedians just looking over the fence. But it's an honor to be here. I think people say that to me sometimes, but I think it's just because I'm a big music talker. I'm very into music trivia and the facts around the music I like, mm. which a lot of people aren't. I'm sure there are people who know more than I do about band X or whatever, about their actual music, but know less about the city they come from and the member changes. You love the narrative, the drama. I've always been biography. into the narrative. I think the, the music media of when we grew up kind of got me into it. Yeah, yeah. I found, having spent a lot of time reading The Enemy as a teenager and reading about stuff that was happening in London, living in London and just going to places and being like, oh, here we are. And went for a picnic with my daughter at Eel Pie Island. And I was like, this is where the mystery just from. <laughs> <laughs> you ever be in Shoreditch and then realise you're walking through Ion Square? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. My goodness. That's a real special one. party song. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, I said it at the time, I'll say it again, it was the This Modern Love of Intimacy. <laughs> I think, well, I've told Alex in quite some extensive length about how much the song Biko meant to me oh, uh, right, of, right. of intimacy, because I listened to that a lot in my freshers' week at university, when I realised that quite a lot of things in my life were going to change, but actually not really in quite the immediate way I'd hoped. <laughs> <laughs> so I managed to feed into a lot of anxiety and self-pity the song Beacom. Oh, it's a lovely song. Between that and Signs, you've got this lovely tender moment in the centre of the album. Yes. 
and the rockier bits they do less for me I, they didn't soundtrack the ongoing non-loss of my virginity quite as poetically <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and I think Trojan Horse has just sort of aggression that pivots it from likeable self-deprecation to worrying incel that we don't want <laughs> to have as a soundtrack I do think it's an underrated record I it, you. But I'm on your team it's it does but, but you know what you do one's Patreon content first <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a case of like I mean it opens with Aries which is like exactly what they were going for they were like we want to sound scrappier we want to sound like this kind of clash between dance music and indie rock and they completely nailed it the beats were so block party but they were so break beats craziness yeah very guitar led which was always what they were about always like Russell doing something insane and I just thought as a record it was really good but it just they were following from two really good records and the thing of them they've always been the shadow of silent alarm to the point where at the time people didn't really respect a weekend in the city when it came out, where now I think most people would almost look at them as a bit of a pair and go, Weekend in the City is maybe not as quite as a favourite worst nightmare, but it's a pretty decent second album. I love effort. it. I love Room it. on Fire energy. Thank you for ticking off all of the sort of marker <laughs> points of what a second album could and maybe should be. Yeah. Oh, sorry, for non-music fans out there, a second album <laughs> is um, when a musician or an artist band releases a second uh, album. <laughs> I mean, I, I, um, well, listen, Richie, in many ways, talking extensively about Block Party's little loved third album, Intimacy, is the perfect introduction to you. Um, <laughs> it's certainly the chat I'd like to have for an hour. <laughs> but would you tell us, having discussed your music credentials, how many gigs you've been to in the last 12 months? So, in the last 12 months, I actually haven't been to that many standalone gigs. I think it's less than 10, okay. but two of those were big festivals. Mm. So Primavera Sound in Barcelona, and then I got to go to Glastonbury the same month. So it was a big June for me. So I have seen about 30 bands in the last year, mm. which has been great. Any particular highlights, a low light, an interesting light? I mean, when I put the list together, I was like, okay, this is incredibly predictable. I'm, I'm sure between like those of you who are watching the video content of this, the short form video content, and those of you listening in could probably hear my cardigan. <laughs> between the cardigan and the deep conversation about Block Party's 2008 record, I think it's pretty obvious that like I'm your boring indie boy. You think to yourself, I'm not just a boring indie boy. Look at my playlist. And then you look at the bands you saw in the last year right, and you're right. like, I'm not just a boring indie boy. I appear to be trapped in a time that's long gone. <laughs> Here are some of the names on this list. Can, can I come? <laughs> <laughs> We've got Mystery Jets, Black Country New Road, Wise Blood, Pavement, Jamie XX, Gorillas, The National, Beck, Nick Cave, Tyler the Creator, Black Midi, Wet Leg, Sports Team, Kendrick Lamar, Bad Boy Chiller Crew, Paul McCartney, Kendrick Lamar, Kendrick Lamar again, twice, twice as good. Jack White, Confidence Man, The Avalanches, Dry Cleaning, The Libertines, Metronomy, St. Vincent, Warm Doucher, Caroline Polachek, Jarvis Cocker, LCD Sound System, Paul Williams, Hot Chip, and Black Midi again. Fantastic. It's not a bad time. <laughs> but most of those were Glastonbury and Primavera. I, I, as I was going through it, I realised I, like, I didn't really go to a gig in the entire autumn and winter, mm. which is I find so stupid because every time I go... Have a really good time. All of those ones, I don't think a single one of them was a bad time. I have very little patience for taking a punt on things where I just don't think I'm going to have a good time. Mm. I struggle to enjoy myself if I don't know like over 60% of the songs. That's if I don't know over 60%, I want to know 0% and then I'm just grooving. You know what I mean? Right, right. I've been sub 60 on quite a few. I've pegged sub 60 a lot in the last few gigs. But then I think you're probably closer to zero. So you're just like, Go in with sure. it. Sure. Napalm Death, Siberian Meat Grinder and Drop Dead was a princely 
one percent, and the one percent I did know was a famously short one point four second song. <laughs> but what's cool about that is you're like Louis Theroux. You're just like fucking hell. It is. Yes, I did. That was by the time I was a tall, weird-looking white guy with glasses yeah. looking on in a sort of curious but slightly distant fashion at the interesting subculture that surrounds him. Yep, yeah, just sat and stood there nodding, being like, "Look at me. I'm so bloody interesting." <laughs> This will make great conversational fare when people ask me what I did last night. <laughs> yes, it served us very well. I mean, I would say that the thing we went to see together for this, Black Midi, was quite low on my knowledge prior to going to see it. Mm-mm. But a revelation. Could we go a little bit further back with you, though, Chief, to your first gig? My first gig, I can remember both because the first one I went to ever was a day festival. And that was in the summer of 2007. If you're actually talking gig gig, it was about four months later. But both, I'm really proud of who I saw. The Day Festival was a now defunct festival that they ran in Shoreditch Park. It was called 1234 Festival. I had seen a bulletin about it on MySpace the day before. That's a double nostalgia hit, not just MySpace, but remember it had bulletins. (laughs) I don't remember bulletins. (laughs) They were kind of like what served as a status update. What, from Tom? Well, you could post your own and then anyone who followed you could see it on the bulletins. Yeah, and I think basically... Can you remember any of your own bulletins? I mean, there were almost always like weird quizzes, right? Being like, oh yeah, you, you, a quiz had been shared round and then you shared your answers to it. Oh, okay. being like, and you were so much more steeped in my space than I was. Yeah, it's a regional thing, isn't it? Like you talk to some people who are like from a different county to you and they were well into Bebo and you're like, oh, I never really took off with us. <laughs> That's interesting. I think they were all pretty solidly blocked at school. Oh, of course. <laughs> I always forget. People lived at school. Yeah, we weren't able to respond to the Shoreditch Park bat signal on MySpace quite <laughs> yeah. as readily. Yeah, you guys were ever the more hungry when you got to the, like, the age of freedom. Mm. Yeah, My girlfriend had a similar thing. By the time she got to 18, 19, she was very gig hungry, whereas I had kind of got through that at 15, 16. Mm. But the first, the day festival, I got to see a... Uh, little guy known as Lightspeed Champion. Oh, sweet. And playing in his band was Florence. And then later that day, saw her solo stuff. And it was just like, these two people are really good. Is this indie? I love this. <laughs> uh, the reason I went to that day festival is because I was a huge Strokes fan and they were firmly in their hiatus. So it's like, you couldn't see them. But the drummer, Fab Moretti, was playing drums, not even in the band of Harmar Superstar, it was just him and Harmar Superstar, and they were headlining at 1234 Festival. And I remember being like, what's this going to be like? And even though I had zero live music experience, I knew that it was a bit strange that I was watching this guy. If those of you know who Harmar Superstar is, he's like this sort of schlubby American guy who danced around in his pants. And it was just him and the drummer. That was it on stage. <laughs> but it was pretty good. Mm. And that was it. And then the first gig gig was four months later, and it was... Bombay Bicycle Club opening for Foles. Oh, that's... And it was before both of them blew up, because this we're talking end of 2007. They were like kind of standard indie fare, but like the reason I went was a guy at my school was taking photos for them. So he was like, oh, I've got some tickets, a guy I knew at school. And we went, and one of the guys I went with stood near the um, merch table and signed some stuff pretending to be in Bombay Bicycle Club for a bit. (laughs) Did you always have people to go to these gigs with? Were you coming up with a sort of... A fellowship of consumers. Not so much. One, two, three, four festival, because it was just on a day's notice. I sort of tried to pull in my mates. I had that classic thing of the guys I'd been friends with from age 10 or something. They were not as interested in the indie coming as as I was. 
So I was like, guys, let's go see this thing. And they were like, nah. Let's go hang out in this park with the Grunders. They're like, nah. I imagine the Hamas superstar would have been a headline set to prove their point rather than yours as Completely, well. Completely, <laughs> yeah. So I ended up going with a guy I knew from the park who was, and I'm not being funny for podcast fair, who was known as Smelly Bill. Right. <laughs> and, and he was a perfectly nice guy. That I, does sound like an act that would be on the bill that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't really know him that well, but he was just like, yeah, I'll come with you. And we had a really good day. And I don't think I've seen him. I think maybe about two months after that was the last time I ever saw him. I don't know where he's gone now. But he was just known as Smelly Bill. Everyone called him Smelly Bill. His friends. Oh, by the way, this was a guy who was our age. This wasn't like right, right. a middle-aged derelict. This was a guy who was completely normal, just known as Smelly Bill. Classic like teenage park nicknames. Hmm. Also, this was a time where I, most of the people I hung out with didn't really know their surnames. Facebook hadn't come in to let us know everyone's surnames yet. Right, right. So we all just knew each other by first name. And Oja. Yeah. <laughs> I think Los Campesinos was the first gig that we went to see together. Yes, that we, um, that's correct. We were was that the forum? Coco. No, Coco. no, that was Coco. And the six scenes. The six scenes was quite a while you ago. You make your quizzical face for the video. There's a different Lost Camp. Did we also go and see the forum when it was like I've not never, the six scenes tour, but just like a big... We saw. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that was after. Fine. That was the 10-year anniversary of the first two albums. Yes. That was a really good album. For those of you out there who only know a little bit of Lost Camp, so they released their first two albums in the same year. And for the 10-year anniversary, they did a commemorative concert where they opened for themselves. So they came out and did a bunch of lesser played tracks from the first two albums and then they went off and then they came back into a full set. Over the course of the evening, they must have done like 40 songs. It was brilliant. Mm. I missed the first half of that doing a gig in King's Cross and then belted it up to Kansas Town. So I think I only saw the... So you missed the exclusive. I was bit. like, that's fine. I only missed the support act. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoever the fuck... What? Yeah. So you interviewed Lost Camp at... That U. was very cool. Yeah. We went into London on a Sunday, and we watched them. They did an afternoon show at Barfly, and it was because they were launching their fourth album, and it was really good. They were the band I got obsessed with while I was at uni. I was a bit late with them. I think I travelled back to London to see them like five or six times, just coaching it, catch them, coach back. It was so good. Is that the Hello Sadness? About the Hello Sadness era, yeah. Um, I love that era. Yeah, really good era. You know how we're all supposed to look at teenagers or anyone younger than us and be like, oh, you don't know either how good you have it or you don't know what you're missing. Mm -hmm. But one of the cool things was that music was harder to come by. As a result, there were songs that you loved and you couldn't hear them because mm -hmm. you couldn't find them anywhere. <laughs> then there was always the, the last desperate bastion, which was, I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend the 79p and buy it on iTunes. <laughs> Not 99, of course. Of They'll course. never know. They'll never know how... <laughs> And we fast forward to the eighth way that you can consume music, which of course is to hear two different groups of people in a pub in Shoreditch oh, wow. yelling over the top <laughs> of songs while you are trying to... It was a Sunday. It was a Sunday. It was like and It had real Friday vibes on a Sunday. Yeah, you've dropped us beautifully into an intensely stressful moment, <laughs> which is being at the Owl and the Pussycat in Shoreditch before Black Midi. So... I think we should go to the start of the plan, which was us deciding, in it being suggested actually by our friend, friend of the podcast, photographer of the podcast, Matt Strong, that we go and watch Black Midi at their village underground residency. That some more tickets have gone on sale for Sunday night, the mystery show. Four night residency, three nights just doing the whole way through of each of their three um, albums. albums. One, two and three. And then yeah. a fourth mystery night, which yes. was announced before 
It's actually the first gig of the run it became. And I will hold my hands up to say that Black Midi were a band I'd not really engaged with or understood up until that point. I think I'd listened to them once for five minutes, probably when perusing the Mercury Prize nominees going, oh, this is the noisy one. Fine. It's, <laughs> it's actually convenient for me to not always be thinking like, oh, I'd love them if I got it. And it's like, great, I can just write that off immediately. <laughs> um, and I know exactly what you mean. And it's such a sort of like, I don't want to get into Formula One because please, I, I could completely see how people do. And then that's just more time. <laughs> I'm trying to shake off football. So... Uh, so Matt proposed that, and it was a lovely thought of going, obviously, with him. But we packed out our upcoming gig-going schedule quite well. So I didn't feel we needed it. And I was just thinking, OK, yep, Sunday, move a few things around, absolutely. And then I thought, oh, today will be really fun. Found that you, you were able to come and excited. Like, well, that's great. She's a big Black Midi fan. Matt and his fiance Holly, were coming. I used to live with Matt and Holly. We used to play the board game Ticket to Ride. And I was like, oh, I'll tell you what would be really good is we sort of make this more than just a music evening. We have a Ticket to Ride evening at the pub beforehand, which was a terrible idea. But because I'd driven the idea on, we were trapped in it. But I was the most resentful of the idea while it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that it was only Ivo's persistence in the idea that meant that the entire idea occurred in the first place. And we managed to get a table at the pub, which was frustratingly just wide enough to fit Ticket to Ride. So, like, we had to do it. And we not had wide. to do any of this. <laughs> but it was like, if it goes on the table, you can play it. That's the rule. <laughs> do we have enough time? Absolutely not. I remember you telling us, like, you said, I think I've played this game a few times, and it take a couple of hours? And I was like, or 45 minutes, which is what we've got. Let's go. <laughs> it was the quickest game of Ticket to Ride I think I've ever played. It was a real uh, hourglass. What did you over. think, Richie, in the cold light of podcast day, about coming with musically inclined friends to watch a great and relevant band for a podcast and then finding out that potentially our arrival time for that was going to be compromised by a board game and a pub plan? I thought it was a good idea. Because you know what? There's nothing quite as fun as when you can sneak in a bit of a secret double activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, back in 2020, a friend of mine invited me to come play basketball. I said, yeah, I hadn't really played much basketball. I was like, let's go. But six of us, none of us particularly good, played basketball. And then we had a really nice afternoon session. This was just after the first lockdown had ended. People were really excited to be back outside. And then afterwards, we sort of finished basketball. Like, oh, what are we going to do now? Maybe a little cafe or something, get a pint, I don't know. And my friend said, should we go to my house and have a jam session? <laughs> oh, the excitement on all of us as we were just like, yeah! <laughs> the secret double activity when you're just like... Sport and art? Yeah. And you're like, God, I'm maximising Sunday right now. Yeah, that's a fantastic feeling. Double leisure. <laughs> what do you play with you? I play guitar and keyboard, not to particularly good levels. You know, lots of, um, it means you're a versatile man in a jam session. A little bit, yeah. I know a good amount of sing-along tracks. I know the chords for couple of Robbie Williams songs that get the vibe going. But yeah, not good enough to impress. Very much a rhythm guitarist. In fact, I run a music and comedy show with Olga Koch called Caria and Koch's Comedy Club and Covers Concert, which completely just birthed itself out of the idea that we both really like doing karaoke. But the last one we did of that, we had house band. Then me and Olga are hosting. And I've got a guitar as well. And we're doing songs with the house band and sometimes with the comedy performers are coming to join us on stage and we're singing in between the acts and stuff. But there was a point where I was just like, I don't really even need to be plugged in. This is, this is really just performative. My friend Ollie, who's on lead guitar in the band, he's absolutely crushing it. He's brilliant. <laughs> don't really need to be holding this. It's really just a crutch. Right. <laughs> cool crutch, though. Yeah. Oh, cool man, my, I've, got, I've got a gold guitar, baby. It's, wow. 
Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, I'm used to sort of checking a notepad on stage and previews is my sort of crutch. So like having like an actual talent as a crutch (laughs) is good, I think. Yeah. Uh, talent is uh, possession is both. Sure. Yeah, but remember that this is spreading out a conversation about playing Ticket to Ride. As going pre-tricks, I think holding guitar, you're not really playing. That's still a few streets ahead. It is kind of cool, but that might be because, I mean, do you play guitar? No. There you go. A guitarist would be looking at me being like, fraud. Okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, I did classical guitar to grade three as a young teenager, but... I'd uh, say that I, means you I, play guitar. Yeah, I suppose so, but I don't think I'm tossing the word fraud out. <laughs> what was really great about Ticket to Ride was that I think it has spoiled me for future games because we did get it done well we in an hour, and really. it made me realise it's a great game to play at speed because I'd only played it once. I played the America version, not the Europe version, but you guys were confident, and I think it's better <laughs> to play a game where people are just helping you move along and you're not hesitating and... There's nothing I hate more. This happens with board games. This happens with parlor games with friends where shakiness in the faith of the game is spreading. Right? <laughs> and people are like, shall we quit? Shall we give up? And I'm like, we're not giving up. I had a similar issue with my family over Christmas. We were watching a film with Kate Winslet and her daughter is in it. And it's quite an intense film about the daughter's sort of body issues and stuff. But about 45 minutes in, my sister was like, should we sack this off? I was like, we're not sacking it off. We're watching a film as a family. (laughs) So you're saying that ideally, if you could play all films at 1.5 speed, that would really increase everyone's commitment to it. I think so. I think 1.5 speed, it's like a a dirty thing that you're allowed to do on your own. But when when you're like in a group, you're like, we are a society. Mm, We are a civilization and a community and we must act as such. We're not putting it on 1.5. But if you're alone, I'm on the bus listening to episodes of The Office, not looking at them. Incredible. Yeah. I have a disease. I'm 1.5-ing Melvin Bragg's In Our Time. That's the only thing I want. In our 1.5 time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'd love to say that the enforced 1.5 speed ticket ride meant at least that we weren't on our phones, but I was also on my phone because we were a ticket short for Black Midi and I'd received the most tantalising suggestion from someone on Twitter that they had a spare but all they actually sent me was the word yo (laughs) (laughs) so I was sending increasingly grasping I retained faith that it would all work out whether with this Twitter person or someone else and spoiler alert it did but I found it humiliating Matt and Holly had sorted themselves out and then we'd only got two because you could only buy pairs and then it sold out before I'd got the third. But we were insistent that I wouldn't be going, which in my head I was like, well, I suppose we had an episode of Gig Peaks where Alex didn't go and said, that no, will even it out. And also I'm, I'm not that invested in Black Midian. Maybe I should just enjoy Ticket to Ride. Not that I can enjoy, obviously, because I can't enjoy any of it. Um, <laughs> but I was sort of trying to emphatically say that I would be the one to fall on that sword. But also, I don't think there will be a sword to fall on because I've got this guy saying yo to me. And like any minute now, there's going to be some dots of some more messages coming in. So I was grasping at that, doing my moves, just shutting down chat. I remember, Alex, you, <laughs> you started talking about the discography of Travis, which I'm not proud of how much I know about the discography of Travis, but yeah, I'll take you through it. I've tailored that conversation for you and you've just gone, I'm very sorry, I need to try and draw three cards, see whether I can tunnel from like Barcelona to Madrid now. Oh, the tunnels. So Ticket to Ride Europe as a, just a couple <laughs> of quirks, which Ticket to Ride Europe Imagine is Imagine Black Midi form. listening to this podcast thinking, when will they start talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is our Bugsy Malone. Yeah. Um, so, That'll um, make sense in about 10 minutes. <laughs> 15. <laughs> see, uh, 
<laughs> so Ticket to Ride Europe just has a couple more quirks, which are fun quirks. But when Matt and Holly revealed that they brought Ticket to Ride Europe, I just thought, this night is doomed. <laughs> this pub is so loud. So we didn't come back to the loudness. They so were playing like late noughties, mid to late noughties, early tens indie bangers, the sort of Shoreditch. The of kind of indie bangers that generation. turned the townies indie. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fluorescent adolescent. Yeah, they were townies and then they heard the sweet sounds of Jamie T. Seller and they were like, I'm going to be indie now. Basically, there was one moment where there was two tables doing this and then we were on quite a long table where there were a couple of other people drinking at the other end and when one song came on, basically it was the Mumford and Sons song Little Line Man and yeah, they, you're thinking, which one's that one? It's the one that's in your head right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they went crazy for it. But that craziness was not just singing along with it. They started merrily thumping the tables like in sort of a tavern scene in a fantasy novel. And that started really fucking with our trains on, on Ticket yeah. to Ride. Because in, in general, to say, that's usually really decent, really good etiquette for like bringing the vibes without interrupting, disrupting too many people. But if there's a delicate board game happening on the same yeah. table, it's terrible vibes. If you don't know what Ticket to Ride is, we're laying tiny trains <laughs> and, they, and they've got to be in exactly the right place. Otherwise, it's impossible to score it. Or as we did, photograph the board so that we could score it afterwards, which I thought I would be doing at the back of the gig. And I thought, that's bad commitment to the gig, actually, if you're scoring your board game mid-gig. So the trains are going everywhere. What did you think of how I shouted at the Italian strangers? I think you handled it well, but I mean, there's a limit to how well you can handle a situation where you're telling strangers not to bang the tables because you're playing a tiny train board game on the same table. <laughs> I, I said, we're good. playing a board game! <laughs> yeah. But I thought that I was doing it. A tactic I've started to use increasingly in my life is to pretend that I'm having a comedy breakdown and actually being quite an effective disguise for having an actual breakdown, <laughs> yeah. which is what I was really Yeah, having, mock anger can do anger's job. But then afterwards, when we left, you did say to them, oh, thank you so much. And I don't think they were upset. No, no, I don't think. But sometimes you're like, right, I've got to rip the plaster off here. There's going to be a little bit of social awkwardness, but we need something here. And we're, we're technically in the right. So let's yeah. just go for it. I just couldn't believe how impossible it was to sort of get any social momentum going because it was too loud to talk. We shouldn't have been talking anyway. I had to keep nudging people saying that it was their go, which I'm not proud to be that person, particularly because I'm quite slow a lot of the time with Ticket to Ride. Genuine quote from that even, the invisible band, take your go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was livid that you were even questioning whether that was released in 2003 or not. It was. I enjoyed it as a game because I liked the speed on it. You know, sometimes you sit down for a board game with friends and are like, oh, we're going to set a time limit on this. And no one really adheres to it. No one wants to police it because they don't want to police other people's fun. But I actually quite enjoyed it. We got it done in 45 minutes. I felt like I learned a lot about the game. I definitely enjoy Europe more than I do America because yes. those quirks really do bring something excellent to it. When Matt and Holly and I used to play the Europe game at a more leisured pace, Matt has encouraged several lovely traditions. You play Darude Sandstorm when you're counting up the scores, although we didn't have a chance to do it because the pub was too loud and we didn't count up the scores there. We did it by text a few days later. All, I'm sure, listening to Darude in Rome time. <laughs> uh, but also when you have to do a risky one on Ticket Ride Europe where you think you've collected enough cards, but then you pull three random cards from the pack and if those cards are the same colour as your cards, you might not be able to do your move. We all typically listen to Lose Yourself by Eminem, which adds terrific drama to pulling out the random cards. And... Holly, particularly very nobly, would try the first couple of times to sing 
lose yourself sort of underneath us doing that in a pub already drowned out by whatever Arctic Monkey song was playing at the time. But how quickly lose yourself devolved into by the I mean like, oh yeah, it's another voice rushing through it <laughs> with no ceremony, no joy. And me just constantly looking to see whether Hayden on Twitter, music man with a sunglasses emoji, had followed up his yo. I'd said, hey, man, you've got to spare. That'd be ace. 20 minutes passed with no message. And I followed up saying, when are you going anyway? Like, <laughs> sort of, Maybe we can still be friends. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it felt like. Save the pride. Save the pride. <laughs> so we've played our game Ticket to Ride. Which we've you got, won, Alex. Congratulations. Did I win? Yes. Fantastic. Well done. That's good to hear, actually. Mm-hmm. Europe was harder for me because I've got a pretty decent working knowledge of where things are in America. <laughs> Turns out I don't know where Bratislava is. Sure. <laughs> but you know where Duluth is? I mean, this is a huge claim. Uh, Duluth is probably the one I'm rustiest. It's not. <laughs> I know where all the states are, so you can fine, figure it out from fine. there. So we get to the Village Underground. We get our fourth ticket. We get in. Black Media playing in 20 minutes from when we get in. You're skipping over my whole... Yeah, Ivo's my, not my, in. My jeopardy. Forget. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's looking at the time thinking we don't have time for a beat by beat <laughs> re- re- recollection of how he's still we, but we, Yeah, we're in the queue. We're asking people for tickets. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not looking good. Eventually we have to give up and there's a moment of sadness where you're escorted in and I'm like, well, maybe see you later, guys. And then at that moment, a man called Richard turns up with a spare because his pal's got to fix his boat. Oh, I'd like to thank Richard and his pal and the structural floors in his pal's boat because they got me into Black Midi. Your entrance was a really joyous moment. We thought we'd lost you. It was the first time I felt happy that evening. (laughs) No, obviously it would have been great to be with you all and playing Ticket to Ride and that would have been a fun if rushed evening in and of itself. But suddenly, I can't recommend turning up to gigs without tickets and hoping, but it does create this fantastic, you know, when you lose your phone and then find your phone again, you're in a better mood than before you lost your phone. Exactly. Like, it's a moment that you don't get to enjoy that much these days. But like every now and then you'll get a little glimpse of it. Oh, your friend had to go home and then he turns right back up. And he's like, turns out the meeting got cancelled. And then the excitement of, well, yeah, you're right. We've gone back to normal. Nothing has changed, but everything has changed. <laughs> and it's a great feeling that you should, if you feel like you've got a glimpse of it, really steer into it, really drink it in. And then there we were coming into Village Underground and it's like a really... I think one of London's best venues. It's such an interesting building. Converted sort of underneath of a former Shoreditch High Street station. Yes. Which Matt was telling us, so that's why they've I left think it might a... might Shoreditch Station. Shoreditch Station, and they've left a either actual or replica tube carriage like on the top of the building. Yeah, you can see from the outside, yeah. And then we go in. It's a big crowd, but we were able to get a good sight line. We're all tall. I hate to revel in it. <laughs> all over six foot, which was great. So we were at the back, kind of a lovely vantage point. And then I realise that all of the stress of the last two hours has faded away. And here I am now just about to watch a band that I've done almost no research for and know almost nothing about. Other than I thought that I might not be into them based on about two minutes of skimming a few years ago. And I'm blown away. <laughs> um, I thought they were so good. I think you tipped me off to expect a big dramatic entrance. They come on with this huge offstage announcement about how they are the undisputed, the hardest working band in showbiz. And then they come on and they're sort of meek bunch of lads in their early 20s. <laughs> and how did it compare, Richie, for you and your previous experience? Of I mean, the mystery um, MIDI element well, I was especially excited for because they're a band that you never really know what's going to happen between two set lists. There are three albums in, but a couple of EPs. This is a band who will do a cover of King Crimson and then they'll do Love Story by Taylor Swift. Like, <laughs> they just constantly surprise. I mean, I think we know 
well, we saw this on Twitter three days ago. They never stopped surprising. The gig that we didn't go to, the Wednesday, they brought out Harry Hill. Mm. <laughs> Harry Hill came to do a verse from a Cardi B song. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have predicted that. That wasn't the surprise gig. That <laughs> yeah. wasn't the mystery gig. That wasn't the mystery gig. So there's really, we had no knowledge of what we doing, but they came out and did a couple of songs off a third record, Hellfire, which I think is my favourite record. And are they now sort of called Hellfire? Are they doing this thing where they change their band name based on the I album? I think they're I can't still understand. Black Midi, but I think it's just that all the promo is Hellfire. Fine. They have a lot of fun with it. I think one of their promotional posters for their upcoming US tour, they just did it exactly in the design of the 1975's tour poster, <laughs> just because they can. Like, yeah. I find myself thinking, even as I got more and more into them over the course of the gig, and even as I've sort of dug into them more over the last week or so, thinking, I'm never going to keep up with these cool little trolls. <laughs> They're always one step ahead. Like even So they put up the full shows of each of their four Village Underground sets on YouTube. A real treat. Or no, sorry, a fan has, but if they'd wanted to shut that down, they would. But they understand that in the land of content, their free online content is their long-term gift that, and that pays they're everybody. They're constantly moving forward. But so exactly. they're, they're not, it's not like they're burning any stuff, but it's really well timestamps. You can jump through not just specific songs, but specific little sort of jokes and glitches. And the Harry Hill thing, that happens five minutes in to their, to their Hellfire show. It's <laughs> he got a bad time. And he comes yeah. on. Yeah, also, you think, oh, that's a little snippet of Hill that you've seen on Twitter or whatever. Nope. He comes on for a minute, five minutes into the gig, and he's gone. And that's their Harry Hill Joker card. But it doesn't matter because the whole set is Joker cards. What we got on this Sunday, the, the big deal was that they had decided, obviously, that they were going to do some songs from legendary 1970s musical and primary school staple, Bugsy Malone. <laughs> What was the first one that they Fat did? Fat Sam's Grand Slam. They did Fat Sam's Grand Slam, okay. maybe three or four songs in. Right, right, right. And I can remember they started playing it and I was thinking, surely not. I was like, I know this tune. <laughs> and they brought out three singers who were sort of dressed up. And I was like, they're doing Fat Sam's Grand Slam from Bugsy Malone. And then they did. And, and they're was, doing proper Amdram aesthetics. It yeah. Was, so they probably did about seven or eight Bugsy Malone songs over the course of that. I think so, yeah. And it was, for me, I've just said a lot of other people there, it was, oh my goodness, they're doing Bugsy Malone? <laughs> and then like, Another Bugsy Malone song? They're really committed to this Bugsy Malone thing. And then, like, quite a long period of Black Midi songs, during which occasion you'd think, when's Bugsy Malone coming back? <laughs> not, not, not because I wasn't enjoying the rest of it. It's sort of like, the, well, there's a couple of big Bugsy Malone yeah, ones. Yeah, you want that to, thematic resolve. Yeah, yeah. But I think before they did the first Bugsy, they did Sugar Sue, which is off Hellfire. And I think they did Welcome to Hell. So they opened with two of their biggest songs of the last, like, year, which are great openers. Sugar Sue is such a great song. It's not one of their longer songs. I think it's about three minutes long. But the final 45 seconds, there's this sort of hit of silence and then a little guitar riff. And then the most intense breakdown. Because they're working with... The drummer of Black Midi is a guy called Morgan Simpson, who's just... I mean, I can't speak on behalf of the huge worlds of metal and hardcore and whatever else, like in the UK where there's like incredible drummers working. But Morgan Simpson is easily one of the best drummers in the UK. He's mm. unbelievably good. Yeah. You can just watch his control and... Watching him in action in hundred percent at the breakdown of Sugar Sue, it's just like this is insane excitement of you're like we're here, we're watching this mental band and everybody's into them. And I was watching the at the, the front, you know, a bunch of sort of young people in the early twenties just going nuts for it. And you're like, yeah, this is what it's about. Yeah, it's a, a sort of half joking reputation that Black Midi fans they're sort of smelly mosh pits. <laughs> <laughs> smelly Bill's there. Smelly Bill is there, of course. He's in his beautiful reunion for him and I. I've not pulled that out of nowhere. It's based on something I've. Really it seems fervent. It seems like fervent and sweaty. For it's quite heavy music, and it's something yeah. that you can 
headbang to, but it felt like moshier even than what you would expect from the kind of volume and tempo of their music. I think it's just, you get bands like this, they're almost like a cult band, depending on what that means, I guess, but like their fans are really into it. And there's this sort of personal feeling of being like, are you into Black Midi? I'm into Black mm. Midi. They're a band that people get obsessed with. And I think when you're going to see a band that people get obsessed with and you're at the front, there's just this insane excitement that happens to the people there, especially if maybe it's their first time around is someone who hasn't been going to gigs that long. They're amazed that a band like this might exist. Well, we were going on night one of four and it was sort of mad given the level of stress and very managed optimism that I had before the gig that I was then thinking afterwards, I really should go to another one of these. This yeah. week. <laughs> I was quite annoyed that I couldn't go, despite the fact that it would have been beyond the call of duty for a gig pick. <laughs> so it would have been just adding in another gig of a band I'd already in a week where we saw four gigs. Like, Let's take it up to five so I can go and watch Black Midi again just because I want to see which one minute pop song they're going to throw in a weird cover of this time. <laughs> or on one of the nights, a Caroline Polachek song. What? I think on the Harry Hill night, they did, I believe, off the new Caroline Polachek album. It's your favourite song of the album. It isn't my favourite song of the album. So again, somehow, Black Midi went from being like, oh, okay, we're going to see Black Midi to... I'm regretting not seeing Black Midi twice in the same week. Like, that's what I mean about getting into Formula One. It's like, oh, right, so now I'm a Black Midi fan in my early 30s, chasing essentially a meme, which their real fans have got so much more time to sort of but dedicate to But that's what's it. amazing about bands like this. They create obsession, their fans become more obsessed, and then they feed it back to them. And I just think it's the coolest thing. You see it a lot in, like I guess, DIY scenes where they're like, you can't get enough of us and we're going to just keep giving you as much as you can take. Mm. <laughs> and you get bands who are just like, right, they want us to do more music. Brilliant, we're just going to make a random EP of covers. We're going to just keep churning it out. Mm. And there's something very impressive about bands like Black Midi. And I think I first noticed this with an interview with Los Campesinos a few years ago where some artists are like, yeah, we were in the studio for two years, nothing came of it. No, it didn't work. We binned two albums. Somewhere. And then Los Camp, since they went sort of firmly part-time they'll make an album like six scenes over the space of like two or three bank holiday weekends mm -hmm. and these are some of like the best lyrics i love that album and and really amazing stuff on the music side as well and they're just like yeah we just made that in a week and a half and i think black midi show that like there's a lot of like chin stroking in music and i think certain bands go nah it's all rubbish really we just get it done we yeah, just yeah. we just churn it out and it's really good but it's so <laughs> accomplished as well this stuff that they do and throw in has to be quite tightly rehearsed. I think it's a testament these guys are really, really good musicians. Yeah. Like, I was watching Jordy's the singer and, well, one of two singers, and plays guitar. I was watching him quite closely, and he's just playing very complicated stuff on the guitar, and it doesn't even look like anything. Mm. This is a guy who's been probably tied to his guitar since he was just big enough to carry it and has got really, really good at it. And that's what's really good. At, I guess... I always struggle to sum these guys up to people. Some people would call it, I guess, prog or like jazz fusion or mm -hmm. something like that. Just call them the reigning, defending the undefeated and undisputed super colossal weight <laughs> champion of the world. <laughs> it's very long, doesn't fit on the stickers at HMV. <laughs> yeah. But it's hard to define, but I think, I guess there's an element, if you say jazz fusion, being in those genres means that you just have to be so much better at your... It's weird that they often get described as post-punk because of how everything is post-punk these days. Yeah. The label they're on is a post-punk label. But I'm just like, Post-punk connects to punk, and punk was about really not being able to play an instrument at all. Right. And they're the opposite of that. They're so damn good at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Post equals years and years of work. <laughs> yeah. What did you think, Alex? I was absolutely mesmerised by it. I loved it, and I think I was a little bit enjoying it as a joke, 
the sort of Bugsy Malone. I was just annoyed thing. I didn't know Bugsy Malone. <laughs> but there's like more ignorance well, guilt. I mean, my gig highlight was um, you give a little yeah. love. I mean, it was yeah, just yeah. it was just fantastic. It was a real moment at the show. They played. It's bats. a great one to close. I mean, I think that closes Bugsy Malone, but it's been used in other things because it's a great like we made it, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So we're gonna have a little sing along now. That the story's over and the credits are gonna come down. We could have been anything. <laughs> <It's just> yeah. like, <laughs> and it's a yeah, it's a lovely song to put at the end near the end of your set. Yeah, it was great. I think they closed on it, did they? No, they finished with BMBM, yeah, which is yeah. the sort of most like tantric and then explosive song, <laughs> which they again didn't play, I think, two of the other night. That one's in sort of semi retirement, I think. But they brought it out. A couple of times <laughs> I thought, this poor twat on his boat. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> I have, could not have tried less hard. Like, I almost stopped us getting into this gig because I insisted on playing a board game in a pub. <laughs> and now I'm feverish for it. It's what you hope a live gig can make you feel, this sense of being like, I can't believe we get to be here. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just true for music. It can happen for comedy as well. Every now and then you'll catch something that you're just like, I can't believe this is going down. This mm. is so, so exciting. And I think they're really doing it. I think there's probably a, a lot of bands, and you know, it depends on perspective. But I think for me, I've shown the most interest in the last 18 months because the first album, which was the Mercury nominated one, Schlagenheim, was very good, but it was what you'd call no wave. And I was sort of struggling to grasp it. And then as they moved into the second record, which was um, Cavalcade, there were songs on that which were a lot more, I wouldn't even call it traditional, but I mean, there's a song on that called Marlene Dietrich, which is just an absolutely beautiful ballad, which you couldn't call no wave at all. And that made me realize, like, oh, this is a band that can do this on the other side as well. And I think I was able to like get into grips with it a bit more. And then with Hellfire, I was like, okay, yeah, I love every track on this. Mm. I don't know, maybe there are fans in reverse who are going, now they've lost it. I only like the No Wave stuff. Now they've become too mainstream or whatever. But they keep doing interesting stuff. They played a bunch of new stuff on the night, which all seemed really good. Yeah, They're one of those bands that, I think I said this to you guys on the night, like you need to have the Black Midi Time Machine if you want to catch the music you like live. Because by the time an album has come out, they've lost interest in playing that stuff live because they were doing it live nine months ago yeah and they're already playing the next album stuff so you can't quite sync it up <laughs> mm. so that's why it's helpful when they just put all the stuff out on youtube yeah. for these little yeah like, yeah i mean it's not just them i mean they're sort of very close with black country new road and black country new roads sort of opus which was the song basketball shoes which was their closer on last year's ants from up there album it's just one of the most incredible songs i've ever heard and they were playing it live from the end of 2019 and it was the closer on an album that came out at the start of 2022. But it was this fan favourite. It was just like, if you were a fan of Black Country New Road, you were obsessed with Basketball Shoes, the song. And it's just how it is now because of YouTube and I guess modern bootlegging is that people know the music as soon as you play it live. I mean, it certainly makes me think about the stand-up material that I sometimes perform that's over a decade old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, going like a, so I went on holiday recently in the back of your mind going, five years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. you pathetic worm. <laughs> I've got a couple of, it's obviously says very bad things about my unhealthy relationship with social media, but a couple of Twitter accounts that are like in my head when I'm doing sort of generic things where it's like, oh, this snarky person online would really judge this. And... I've always brought Black Midi into that as an equation now. It's like a sort of a metric for sort of anarchic, but also incredibly thought through and something that's, that's both intimidatingly well rehearsed, but also brilliantly chaotic. 
And I'm neither. <laughs> <laughs> you just, yeah. when looking at your set list, you're just like thinking WWBMFT, what would Black fans think? Get like a wristband. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, but they make it look easy. And to be honest, even if we were all musicians and we had devoted ourselves to music for the amount of time we've each devoted ourselves to comedy, we would still not be as good as them. We'd still be doing four chord songs underneath pubs. Like <laughs> there's just something about what people like that can do. And also it comes from risk. It comes from the fact that they the first probably ten black MIDI shows, they're probably playing to empty back rooms in pubs where people are going, This is shit <laughs> before some guy at you went ticket to ride being like, Can you keep that down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you turn the bass down? <laughs> playing the guitar. But yeah, it's about taking those risks and it panning out. I'm so pleased it panned out with all of us there. It's something I'd recommend to everybody if you can catch them. I mean, they do a lot of festivals. If they're on at a festival you're going to, go see it. It's a lot of fun. Even though it's so good, you'd expect a band like that to be very much like not talking between, not making jokes. They make jokes. The entire thing is they don't take it too seriously. Well, and they were doing act-outs as well. Like, they, you know, the, so a, pretending so to gangster scrap, got right? cream pie shot, right? Didn't yeah. They? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Bugsy Malone style. Yeah. This guy, Shank, I believe, comes on with his huge hat. He sort of knocks over the lead singer and then he plays with the guitar for a bit a lovely bit of slapstick of him trying to take the guitar off but he can't because he's wearing such a big hat yes. uh, and then the girls come on and sing Fat Slam's Grand Slam so that guy Shank I later realised he is Seth Evans who plays keyboard for them so he would have been on stage with them the following nights for Cavalcade and for Hellfire he thought he was getting Sunday night off Yeah, and he said a bit of fun actually we won't need you on keyboards, but... Um, we'll give you three Harry Hills worth of cameo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think after that, the lead singer of Black Midi said something like, a bit of theatre. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is really such enjoyed. an interesting character. So him and the other guy, they both sing. So Cameron is a bit less, the bass player, a bit less, but is a really brilliant presence. But Geordie Greep, the guitarist and singer, is just such an interesting character. <laughs> the way he talks, like he's got this really interesting London accent that you don't hear very often. Kind of sounds like a sort of debonair geezer Mm-mm-mm. who's sort of seen some stuff. And he's just a very interesting character, which I like in people who lead bands. They're just like a bit mysterious. Because the whole idea is we, when it's a band that you love, you're a bit infatuated with the mystery of them. And if they're a bit too normal, you lose the magic. Mm. But if they're like, no, I'm a bit of a mystery man, you're like, you are! <laughs> yeah. It's what I would call hasn't changed Facebook profile picture in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now no one has, obviously, but I remember back when it was normal to change your Facebook profile picture regularly. The amount I could project them to someone purely because <laughs> they had very limited photos. Or like a weird meme from 2006, <laughs> so they never changed. <laughs> I was like, this is meant to be the most important. <laughs> so you announce yourself to the world. <laughs> and we look back at it now and we're like, actually, it was the biggest statement of them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew that at the time. But there I was, smiling straight into the camera anyway, just trying to do things the right way. Picture taken in a nightclub, cut your friend out. Yeah. Absolute <laughs> <Sort of> standard. <laughs> Although the better, the bigger fuck you. Your friend looks quite bad, but you look really good, so you leave them in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What was your favourite song at the Black Midi set with you? I think... Is he going to go for a Bugsy Malone song? Was there a Bugsy Malone song you wish they'd played? Was there another musical no. you'd have loved them to have dipped into? I, well, as soon as they played Fat Sam's, I was like, they've got to do Give a Little Love because that's a song that I really love. It's a song I learned how to play on the piano. I don't really can't play that much on the piano, but I learned how to play on the piano a few weeks ago just for the fun. It's a really fun little sing-along song. And I was like, well, as soon as I realised they were doing more than one from Bugsy, I was like, they've got to play. And they closed on it and it was brilliant. But I think... My favourite was probably Sugar Sue. Anything from that third record, 
their closer on the third record, 27 Questions, which again, it's connecting them more to this kind of musical theatre sound. Yeah. And I know that they played it on the Wednesday, which was the Hellfire Night. But yeah, that third record for me, it's just like completely is brilliant. It's undeniably energising live. It's so interesting. And they're just not stopping. There was a bunch of songs that they played which are untitled or like not released yet. And it's just getting their fans more and more excited for mm. number four. And I'm just like, God, it's so cool when there's a band like that. They obviously are not the only one, you know, bands like King Gizzard released four albums a financial quarter. <laughs> like they're, they're putting it out like crazy. And I just I respect it so much. It must mean a lot of hard work and a lot of like devotion to your art, but they're just hungry. And you completed both of your routes. Uh, <laughs> I did. I was really Zagreb, chuffed with Zagreb that. Zagreb to Brindisi and Sarajevo to Sevastopol. I was really <laughs> pleased with that because last time I played Ticket to Ride, I kind of messed it up a little bit and I thought, you know what, I'm going to aim low. I'm just going to try and sort out, tend to my garden and I'm not going to worry about winning or losing. <laughs> mm. And I completed both of my routes. And you blocked me a little bit in the process. It's like these sort of Black Midi-ish sort of trolling. <laughs> cutting me a off. little bit of blocking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Alex, still learning. You had a great night and you won the game. Thank so. you. I barely need a highlight from the gig if I won the game, but my genuine highlight was you give it a little love. It was <laughs> such good fun. What about you, Ivo? I like the song near DTMI, and I thought that was great, but there were lots and lots of instrumental bits where I didn't think that it was a song that they had released or might ever release, but you were just watching them absolutely doing their thing. God, what an old way to say it. They were just doing their thing. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Rajiv, do you have any musical recommendations that could be music, a band yeah. at all, an item um, or paraphernalia to do with music? I'll stick to sort of the newer stuff because, I mean, I, I have started listening to the song Cashmere by Led Zeppelin, but I've been, <laughs> I've been told it's been out for a while. <laughs> no, as for the newer stuff that's really exciting me, Yves Tumor is so cool. For those of you who don't know who Yves Tumor is, they are an artist who just like, I don't know what you would call it. Sort of Sometimes it sounds like Prince, sometimes it sounds like Nine Inch Nails and new song from Yves Tumor is called Heaven Surrounds Us Like a Hood new single and it's just so good the 2019 album or maybe 2020 album Heaven to a Tortured Mind was a really cool album anything you listen to of Yves Tumor and I think there's going to be some live chances to see them is so good Pulp small band called Pulp <laughs> coming back doing some live shows I've got tickets to see them they are going to be great live but um unless you know me personally don't get in touch um and it, actually you know what it wasn't in the last year but about 18 months ago i saw a dutch band called personal trainer who are kind of like think sports team think that kind of scene that energy there's about nine of them and they are coming back to the uk quite a lot doing these very small tours but it is such a good time live i saw them at the shacklewell arms and it was just so entertaining so fun like post-punk kind of very much about the live experience and being in it with you. So I think if they're in a town near you, try and catch them. So personal trainer, Eves Tumor and, and Pulp. Those are the big summer 2023 excitement for me. Lovely stuff. Alex? I am going to recommend a sort of Los Campesinos adjacent band due to our sort of shared love of Los Campesinos. I was just going to recommend Six Scenes by Los Camp because it was our first concert together and because I think it's such a great album. It's such a great album. Sorry to interrupt you. But no, because I love that recommendation. The song Sad Suppers for me. Yes. That's got that Portuguese concept. So daddy. So yeah. daddy. What does that mean again? It's like a, a it's like sadness for home or something. Is something it like a homesickness like thing? Yeah. Mine is the band Johnny Foreigner. 
who were sort of quite thick of siege with Los Campesinos at one point, I think, were sort of in a similar scene. They got a very good song from their debut album called Eyes Wide Terrified, but it's sort of quite energetic, upbeat, a lot of noise for sort of three, four people stuff and like very frenetic guitar playing. So that's my recommendation. Is anyone going to recommend a song from a musical? (laughs) (laughs) The rest of Bugsy Malone. (laughs) Thanks very much for coming on, Richie. Oh, my pleasure. An absolute pleasure to discuss so many shared reference points. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be back for various reference points. Or if you have an indie question, you can just you can send it out to the lab. Yeah, that's. I'll be like, actually, no, he didn't leave till two (laughs) thousand (laughs) and seven. No, it was included as a reissue on the album, but it was originally a standalone single. (laughs) I'm afraid that's Japan only. (laughs) (laughs) thanks Um, Rajiv thanks very much see you back in the dressing room of the Bristol Tobacco Factory Theatre with a vital distinction and a difference from the top because at the top it was PG pre-gig and the post it's also it's also PG because of the (laughs) the shared first letter acronym situation of pre-gig and post-gig but it's post-gig it's post-gig now it's a completely different mood well, it's just a different kind of anxiety, isn't it? Anxiety pre-gig. Will it go uh, well? It, will it go well? Did it go well? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the old, will it go well? Did it go well? Fundamental, same state of being. The good thing about a subjective art form is you can just project your anxiety into it in any tense. But I think it was a lovely time. I mean, Bristol's a lovely place to gig. Anyway, this isn't a review of Ivan <laughs> Graham and Alex Keeley at the Bristol Tobacco we, Factory We Theater. had a lovely time at the Bristol Tobacco Factory Theatre, and you have hopefully, uh, you, although we should say, surely if, just had a lovely time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, desperate to interrupt I really, you. There. Really, I'd really grab the wheel to segue, and you also grab the wheel to segue, and together we did not segue. That's exactly what we didn't do. Alex, would you like to take the wheel? <laughs> Thank you for giving me the wheel, Ivo. Um, <laughs> who's driving this car? Who's driving who's this driving seat? I think it's a sort of Tesla self-driving, and we both grabbed it because we didn't trust the algorithm, and then we did still run someone over. Uh, no, no, too sorry, Elon. <laughs> You've undermined your great product. Uh, <laughs> the point is we've had a lovely time at Bristol's Tobacco Factory and you've had a we hope also lovely time listening to us talking to Rajiv Karia about Black Midi Block Party and a litany of other musical anecdotes litany of other musical anecdotes heavy on the Black Midi as was the point heavy on the Block Party at the top as was not really the point but... and crucially for Rajiv heavy lies the head that has crowned the biggest music fan we've had on the podcast he's got a target on his back heavy yes I think a lot of people will be very angry about that and some people won't be fussed <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> let's not overstate our reach um, and influence but also hopefully a few more things from up top and we shouldn't be doing the pre-podcast chats full of spoilers and clues but I did really enjoy you saying a lovely bit of theatre, like Shorty, the lead singer of Black Midi. I would like to issue a formal apology for getting angry with you about (laughs) Travis's The Invisible Band and me saying 2003. It was 2001. It's 2001. And what did I say it was? 2005, 99. Did I get it right? I can't go it right. No, I don't want to go so far as to say you, you, got, you got it right. The point being that you were trying to discuss the chronology of their discography during such a delicate point of us trying to rush a board game sure. before a very high stakes gig that we didn't even all have tickets for. That was not needed. And I think what you were doing, how quickly the apology turns to <laughs> another lane down the door. You were questioning what order albums were in. And that would never be in doubt in my mind. Right, I could right, certainly right. rattle through the first half of Travis's discovery and even some of the later, less critically dominant ones. 
with relative ease. But 2001 was The Invisible Band, their third album, their second massive album. And then in 2003, things had possibly started to plateau a little bit with the controversially more politically charged album, 12 Memories. That's the end of that bit. (laughs) Obviously, we are, as ever, inviting correspondents to Gig Pigs podcast about any of the issues raised in the episode. (laughs) Issues such as, what's the strangest way you've filled time before a gig? Not even filled time implies like, oh, just nothing to do. Like, we were actively charging at this game of Ticket to Ride and we'll put the photographs of our trains and scores on the Gig Pigs Instagram page (laughs) which is becoming, may I say, an absolutely wonderful meme fest Alex, you're doing (laughs) such great work over on the Gig Pigs Instagram in the the content mimes, churning out my memes I don't know why it has to be in the content mime why can't it be in the content eerie? the content eerie, just gazing down at the world from my eagle's nest of content what's an eerie? it's where birds live (laughs) it's it's already where birds live, I suppose it's where Medieval people who had birds might leave them in the, their eerie. Oh, right. I, I'm like 80% sure about that. I'm 0% sure about that or indeed most other things. Not most other things. I've got certainty in my life. What a thing to just grab out of nowhere. Uh, the point is, whether you're up an eerie or down a mine, you are making some solid memes out of our chats and I can't wait to see what you do with this week. And crucially, thanks to our good old friend, the Canary, you can be a bird in either one. Thank you, Mr. Canary. <laughs> Or Mrs. Canary. Never a Mrs. Canary. We don't want an unmarried canary down the mine. No, absolutely not. No ring, no... <laughs> no mining for rings. <laughs> no mining for the material to make rings. So what's the strangest way you've uh, occupied yourself before a gig? Uh, what's... The uh, strangest sort of cover song that you've ever seen a gig or perhaps a bit of theatre? Theatre, strangest cameo. Have you seen any of the comedians at gigs? Would you like us to come and do a, a cover of a Cardi B song at your gig if you're a musician? Or some Polachek, but with you? I would say we're not even really available to do those. We're quite busy gigging <laughs> in the evenings ourselves. But there are gigs <laughs> I would sack off to go and do a random rap yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Uh, with Black Midi. I think it's a fresh in the format in about 30 episodes time if we could be at the gig doing the gig in the gig. 30 episodes. The countdown begins here. We've loosely discussed whether in future episodes we might interview some of the bands we've gone to see and sprinkle the podcast with like questions about what the gig was like from their perspective. I'm already nervous about that because does that compromise the sort of, you know, fan-led thing of this and our ability to, should we ever wish to be, be critical. But now that's just another stepping stone on our dominant march towards yeah we reckon after about 30 episodes we'll be performing with most of these bands so. yeah 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 which comic is getting the short straw of their coming to a gig but it's do you want to come to our gig it's our band come watch our band for a podcast well that's all for so a podcast the guest not in the band as well no the guest is in the crowd watch <laughs> Nish we're with the Red Hot Chili Peppers this week it's a really big one for us do you want to come and watch so if you've got any answers to questions like that or indeed any questions for us if you've got any questions for us if you've got any questions for us they go to gigpigspodcast.gmail.com do you want to allow us a little glimpse into the um, semi-bulging mailbag of gigpigspodcast at gmail.com this week Alex we got a lovely email from Sarah name redacted solid call solid call I'm a big redactor. Mm. Ivo has played it fast and loose. Yes. Which is fast. It's fast, the surname, and loose redacted. No, fast <laughs> is anonymity, professionalism, surname redacted, and loose is surname and maybe their postcode. 
Well, the, the main interesting I've had with the Gig Peaks podcast emails are the person that I've actually transferred money to very belatedly. <laughs> so I, I do feel I've got an intimate relationship with some of our correspondents. So this one's from Sarah, surname redacted. Dear Ivo and Alex, I don't normally do this, but I listened to the first episode of Gig Pigs and I had to sit down and write a thank you note. I'm a huge Franz Ferdinand fan and your first episode with Rose and Emma captured all the joy and energy I've always drove headlong into at their gigs. I was so sad to miss the Ali Pally show in October, so the episode was definitely a gift. Yes. Not because, you know, from some perspectives, it just rubbed salt into the wound. But no, we <laughs> took her with us. We were your avatar. We weren't something that disappointed your regret. You circumvented your regret. Anyway. We she- won't disappoint your regret. We'll <laughs> circumvent your regret. Let us be your avatars. Geekpigspodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. It's great to Let see you sometimes do a sentence as bad as some of mine. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. She continues, I agree with Alex. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Pathetic. <laughs> what did she agree with you about? Dancing to the nine-minute version of Lucid Dreams on the Tonight Tour in 2009 was like going to outer space. And not just because I was near someone smoking a very strong joint. <laughs> good old... The Belgian both, date. Good, good old... You always forget the different states of matter that you can consume marijuana in. Um, <laughs> you do always forget that. Air. Solid. Presumably liquid if dissolved into a nice drink. You're absolutely buzzing on getting a fan of tonight era Franz Ferdinand yes, emailing you directly. Nine minute version. Doesn't feel like I'm your avatar anymore, Sarah, min- with my <laughs> desire for songs from right thoughts, right words, right action. <laughs> Vince McMahon is sitting placidly when he hears Franz Ferdinand. His eyebrows are lifting when he sees nine minute version. He's wide eyed at Lucid Dreams and tonight tour in 2009, Red Lesbians come out. Please tell me. That's not Sarah who's done no, this. That's, that's me. That's me that I, I don't. If Sarah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah is revealed. Sorry, using our favourite Vince McMahon meme. If we see a JPEG attachment in your email and it's got got any meme but the Vince McMahon meme. Yeah, I'm afraid we we are slaves to a very popular meme format of a wrestling promoter getting more aroused. (laughs) (laughs) And then laser beams crucially coming out of his eyes at the end. That's the ultimate arousal. That's that's the end of Lucid Dreams. (laughs) And shout out to both American smoking laws in 2009 and indeed how freely available marijuana is in some of those states. <laughs> Why uh, are we giving a shout out to that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, re- I retract that shout out. It's, it's a whispering for me on that one. Sarah continues, and Dark of the Matinee will always be my favourite Franz Ferdinand because it told my 17-year-old self that there was a great big world beyond my tiny conformist Southern California boarding school and somehow I'd find nerdy weirdos like me. I'm sure Ivo and I can't relate to any of that sentence. <laughs> yeah, sorry about your loser life, Sarah. Our large conformist South Berkshire boarding school, totally different to this vibe. Uh, another thing I have to thank you for, inspiring me to find and book a gig. I'm now seeing Le Tigre in June in London. Sorry, we've just had a nice weekend together, Ivor and I, and I was getting really ragged on for my by correct, girlfriend. by my own girlfriend, for my correct pronunciation of French-derived. It's exuberant. Exuberant. So I was quite naturalistically, for me, said restaurant, and I, uh, for the, a lot of the weekend was really people hitting the tea hard on restaurants. So it's very funny that we've now got the Le Tigre. Yeah, I really sweated beads when I saw that word coming up a few times. So when's she seen the Tiger in London? In London in June. And uh, she goes on, they were my first ever gig at age 14 over two decades ago. Ooh. So, so excited to dance my ass off to Decepticon and keep on living, especially after not going to a rock gig since 2018. Anyway, thank you again. And I'm excited to listen more. Cheers, Sarah. 
Thanks very much for writing in, Sarah. And thank you for making me I have to pronounce another <laughs> French word in front of a gleeful iPhone. I love to watch him squirm, but there's admittedly been probably a bit too much squirming from both our owns during this particular sesh. It is a great email. It's lovely to share that Franz Ferdinand connection. And also, you know, I love someone closing a nostalgia loop and trying to make the present as good as the past. Best of luck to you. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. Episode eight. Well, we've got some in the can, some to be in the can in future. We're canning as fast as the factory will allow. We are canning as fast as the factory will allow. And there's even talk that we might ask the factory to allow us more cans. What does that mean? <laughs> we're we're going to keep releasing Gig Pigs episodes every Thursday. We're nearly in double figures. And we've got so much more to talk about. We went to see a film the other day. Ooh. And we might do some content about that. What? Is that allowed? We'll do what we want. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Just a fraction more than you have presently.